Amen. So, so far in our series on God's providence, we've looked at how God arranged the marriage of Isaac and Rebecca. And last week, we looked at how he arranged for a fish to swallow up Jonah and ultimately lead him to repentance. And today, we focus on Joseph. And the question for us today is, can God's providence be at work when bad things happen? Can God's providence be at work when bad things happen? Let us pray. Lord, we thank you today that you are a God of providence. We thank you for how you brought Isaac and Rebecca and countless couples throughout history together. We thank you for how you provided a fish to swallow up Jonah and lead him to repentance. And we thank you in our own lives, for Lord, for whatever it was you used to draw us to confess our sins and receive you as Lord and Savior. We thank you, O oh God, that you know the avenue, the perfect avenue for each one of us. God, we pray that as we come to your word this morning, Lord, that you will speak by the power of your Holy Spirit. Allow your word to transform us that we might continue to become all that you created us to be. May we be drawn closer to you today by what we learn in your word. In Jesus' name we do pray and give you thanks. Amen. So, as we've been looking at different occurrences in the media, uh, this week, our uh, focus example is what says on the screen here, exonerated football, exonerated football player Brian Banks signed by Atlanta Falcons. But let's back up a little bit and look at Brian's life before he got to where he is right now. He was a high school standout in football in California, and he began getting recruiting letters and offers when he was just a sophomore. That's just how good he was. And he had verbally committed to play for USC. Coach Carroll had called him and he had given a verbal acceptance and his future seemed secure. Then one day someone that he knew accused him of rape and kidnapping. He said it didn't happen, but he was unable to post bail, and therefore he spent a year in jail waiting for his trial. The DNA evidence supported his claims that nothing had happened between them, but his attorney, also an African-American, was concerned about his ability to receive a fair trial, so she advised him to plead guilty despite his claims of innocence. 
The sentence that he received could have been anywhere from 18 months to five years. And Brian Banks received the maximum sentence of five years. Can you imagine seeing your life literally get flushed down the toilet? In a moment, his life was changed forever. And his future was ruined, or so it seemed. Years before Brian was ever born, Joseph had an eerily similar experience. He was the favorite son of his father, and because of this, he was hated by his brothers. And they hated him even more when he shared the dreams that he had with them. Because in his dreams, his brothers, his older brothers, were bowing down to him. I'd love to tell my brother that. <laughs> you know, and I think Joseph was just young and immature and trusting, and he might not have thought through clearly the ramifications of sharing all of his dreams with his brothers. And so their resentment toward him continued to grow and grow. And then the day came when they had had enough. And they sought an opportunity to get rid of him. They actually plotted to kill their own brother. Thankfully, one level head prevailed amongst them, and Joseph's life was saved. But he still ended up being sold and carried away to Egypt, away from his conniving brothers, but also away from his beloved father. But even though Joseph was away from his family, he wasn't out of God's eye or his providential hand. Genesis 39 can be found on page 31 of your pew Bible. And I'm going to start at verse 1 and read through verse 6. Now Joseph was taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. He made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and with him there he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. So. 
Looks like Joseph is doing okay in spite of everything that's happened to him. He's got a good job, got some management responsibility. Not the life that he's planned, he's away from his family. But things seem to be working out. And most importantly, God was with him. You can do anything if God is with you. God not only blessed Joseph, he blessed Potiphar's house because of Joseph. And he had a good life until Potiphar's wife recognized this young stud that was working in their house. And she set her eyes upon him. Let's look again at the end of verse 6, and it says, Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am. Nor has he kept back anything from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How, then, could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Joseph was disgusted by Potiphar's wife's proposition to him. He tells her that this betrayal would be wrong for two reasons. One his loyalty to Potiphar. Joseph, in essence, says that in Potiphar's house, they were equal, meaning he had all the authority in Potiphar's house that Potiphar himself had. Joseph also recognized that Potiphar had given him an immense responsibility and authority. Potiphar had placed great faith in Joseph. But his other reason for not sleeping with Potiphar's wife is even greater. That was his loyalty to God. You see, Joseph recognizes all of the success that he has experienced has come directly from the hand of God. Even the favor that he has with Potiphar ultimately came from God. God has been with him. God has been protecting him and providing for him and opening doors for him. How could he then sin and return the goodness of God with wickedness. So Joseph says no. But that's not enough for her to leave him alone. Sometimes Satan will dog you and dog you and dog you and try and wear you down until you give in. And that's what she did to him. The scripture says that day after day she tried to get him to lie with her and he still said no. But one day she saw an opportunity. Satan's always looking for an opportunity. Look at verse 11. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. 
When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, See, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until her ma his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant whom you brought among us came in to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison the place where the king's prisoners were confined, he remained there in prison. Wow. Potiphar's wife was so angry because he wouldn't sin with her that she would have him put in prison as an innocent man. I wonder sometimes if that's what happened with Brian Banks. Joseph tried to do the right thing and ended up in prison. How in the world is God's providence at work in all of this mess? Isn't that how you feel sometimes? Every time you think you've gotten back on your feet, something else comes along and knocks you back down again. It's not your fault. Nothing you can do about it. It's the worst thing you could ever have imagined. And now you see your life going down the drain. I'm sure there are a lot of men and women in prison today who feel the very same way. Why try anymore? Nothing seems to work. Everything seems to be against me. My life is ruined. So what do you do? How do you respond? What amazes me about Joseph is he doesn't become bitter. And it's really amazing because people can come, become embittered for so many things, much less something like this. And I'm sure he had moments of anger, but somehow he didn't let those moments overwhelm or define him. Joseph didn't allow his circumstances to make him bitter. He allowed them to make him better. Because he wasn't bitter, God could continue to use and develop him. You see, just like he was head of a Potiphar's house, when he got to prison, he became a leader there too. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. 
The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Now that's the providence of God. Joseph prospered in prison the same way that he had prospered in Potiphar's house. Like Potiphar, the chief jailer committed everything into Joseph's hands. He didn't worry about anything that Joseph was in charge of. Why? Because God was with him. God's hand was on Joseph even in prison. Would I go as far as to say God sent him there? I can't honestly say that I can say that, but I do believe that God allowed an innocent man to be sent to prison in the same way that he allowed an innocent man to be sold into slavery. And I think that's what really challenges us because God's providence sometimes allows us to experience difficulties even though we don't cause them. Someone else's actions cause us to be wounded and punished and God allows it. How is that possible? Look at Christ. See another example. And it's possible because God's providence is connected to God's greater purpose. I said, God's providence is connected to God's greater purpose. And God's purpose isn't thwarted by people or circumstances or even Satan. He is God. He can do anything. We sing that all the time, but do we really believe it? He can even use the horrible experiences of our lives to develop skills and character and ministry in us if we let him. Because he has a perspective that we don't have. But like me, I'm sure you sometimes ask, why didn't God keep me from that? Why didn't God keep Joseph from being sold into slavery? Why didn't he keep him from going in the house that day? Why, why, why? The list sometimes is endless. One reason may be that it is because God is providentially working something out in your life through all of the mess you're going through. Don't ever allow your circumstances to be the thing that forms you. Instead, allow God to transform you in spite of them. 
Don't allow your lack of the necessities of life to cause you to try to get them in the wrong way. Let God use that lack to teach you something. Don't allow someone's mistreatment of you to make you hard and difficult to be around. Allow God to keep you soft and trusting and joyful. God's providence has not abandoned you. As he was with Joseph, he is still with you. He sees you right where you are, right in the middle of all of that overwhelming, sickening mess. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it might even be unfair. But God sees it. And he has providentially allowed it to work something greater in you. When I lived in California, I was intrigued at some of the places where I would see the most beautiful blooming plants. And it wasn't always in the parks or the arboretums. It was in places where nothing else seemed to be blooming. I remember the first flower I saw when it was a really tall, exotic flower, beautiful, in the middle of nowhere. And then there was another one, a huge hedge, and it had one white flower on it. So I began to take pictures when I saw things like this, because it really, really intrigued me. And this is one of those I took. This is across the building across from where I live um, on Fuller's campus. I used to walk to church, and I'd walk down this sidewalk. And I saw this flower one morning on my way to church. And I was just mesmerized by it because you can tell it's a damp area and there's a lot of moss growing in that area. Not the, and probably too shady for a lot of plants, but you see this plant just absolutely gorgeous. And that is the only plant on that side of the building. And my message to you is, let that be you. Wherever you find yourself today, whatever prison you find yourself in, bloom where you are planted. And bloom like the whole world is looking. Amen? You know, I want to tell you a little bit more about Joseph's life. And we can't cover it all today, but I want to read you a little bit more from Genesis 41 starting at verse 38, and it says this, Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find anyone else like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So just a little background, Joseph has interpreted some dreams, and this is Pharaoh now speaking to him, and he said, since God has shown you all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and my people shall order themselves as you command. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Removing his signet ring from his hand, Pharaoh put it on Joseph's hand. 
He arrayed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot of his second in command, and they cried out in front of him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath, Paneah, and he gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, which I think is really funny, priest of On, as his wife. Thus Joseph gained authority over the land of Egypt. In verse 46 says, Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. Wow. That is nothing but God. The very land that he came to as a slave, he is now governor of, second in command to Pharaoh. Joseph was obviously destined to reign. Being sold into slavery didn't change it. Being cast into prison didn't change it. And once again, Joseph is second in command. And there's more because Joseph didn't know it, but a massive famine was coming. And the famine was so great that it would bring Joseph's own brothers to him to get food. Genesis 42 says in verse 6, Now Joseph was governor over the land. It was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came, and when they came, they bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. God is amazing, and his word is true. Those dreams, dreams that Joseph had when he was a young man did, in fact, come true. His brothers did, in fact, bow before him. Not only him, but everyone bowed the knee to Joseph. It took a while, but all those dreams did come true. Joseph was a young man when he was sold, and now he is a grown man with his own children. Years have passed, and he now knows that God had a reason for sending him as a slave to Egypt. The land in which he was a slave was the very land that God would have him one day rule over. God's providence was worked out in Joseph's life. And in Joseph's own words to his brothers, you meant it for evil. You meant it for evil. You tried to destroy me, but God meant it for good. And it wasn't only for Joseph's good, but it was for the good of his brothers and the entire land. God meant it for good.
And the same is true for Brian Banks. Now, 11 years after this entire saga began, his accuser has recanted her story. Sam's going to put up a link on the church website with his message to the interview that he did with 60 Minutes. You got to watch it. I tell you, every time I think about it, it just tears me up when I see him sitting at that table in that courtroom. And they pronounce him innocent. And he buries his head in that table. And there's so much emotion coursing through his body that he is literally shaking. And I thought about myself, what would I do if one day I was going about life as usual and someone accused me of something and I was thrown in jail and ultimately sent to prison for something I didn't do. I can't imagine. But that's what he went through. And he held on. And so now he has an opportunity to try and make the roster of the Atlanta, Atlanta Falcons. And I love his perspective on the whole thing. He says that if I don't make it, it won't define me. If I do make it, it won't define me because I've already won. You see, Brian realized that making it on the team was not what it was all about. It was about submitting himself to the process of transformation through difficulty and to the providential plan of the hand of God. Most of the time, we don't understand what's happening. But we serve a God who sees the end from the beginning. And God has a plan for what he allowed in Brian Banks' life, as he does for all of his creation. So what about you? Are you fully trusting in God's providential plan for your life? Right where you are, in the middle of all the stuff, are you fully trusting that God is with you? When the bottom falls out of your life, what will you do? Maybe you're not there today yet. I heard someone say once that you're either in a trial, going into a trial, or coming out of one. So the question would be, what will you do when your trial hits? 
Will you, like Brian, be able to trust God? Do you believe that God is with you in the same way that he was with Joseph in prison? If you do, submit yourself fully to God's providential plan for your life. Allow him to continue to work out his will for you, even though you don't understand it. Because I know one thing, and that is in God's providence, he's able to use your pit and your prison cell in the process of preparing you and transforming you. Amen.